0: One of the reasons I I feel it's so important to have institutions like that um, is because oftentimes when historical societies were first starting out, uh, their interest in African American history wasn't as high as it was, as it's been in the last, you know, realistically, three, four years due to everything going on, uh, you know, across the the country, across the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's been great to have institutions like that already in existence.
1: hello and welcome to tom meets interesting people this is the podcast where i meet everybody from voice actors to nuclear engineers to talk about their work and their processes and my guest today has one of those jobs that is just i think just cool like if you're a kid and you imagine what you'd want to do growing up i'm sure there's quite a few of us nerdy kids out there that would want to say we want to be some kind of historian, we want to be some kind of curator, and that's exactly what Jeremy Swick, my guest today, is. He's got a passion for history, education, and social media. He's a huge fan of rugby. I'm going to have to introduce you, Jeremy, to my best friend. Uh, You will just get along like a house on fire. He's got a huge passion for history and learning, and he's worked at several different institutions, ranging from the Historical Photography Museum, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the College Football Hall of Fame. And currently, he is working at the Wisconsin Black Historical Society and Museum. What don't you do? <laughs> Jeremy, the
0: warmest, warmest, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Thank you so much, I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having having me on today.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. I know it's been a long time coming because we've been talking like a little bit back and forth. I think for like August? I think it was we first yeah it's it's
0: it's been a few months it's been a few months so it's uh great we finally got to get together
1: yeah and i i want to sort of learn so much about what you do as well because um i know very little about american football um actually i know nothing about american football i know nothing about sports um i am not a fit person in the slightest but before we dive into kind of like football and how you got into working on the historical side of that I'm really interested in what you're doing now so can you tell me all about the Wisconsin Black Historical Society and what work you do there
0: so currently thank you thank you for uh, the great introduction but currently I'm at the Wisconsin Black Historical Society and Museum and I'm actually their head archivist. We're working on plans to build a new archives, which is pretty exciting. Um, So my day-to-day is uh, taking a lot of the rich information of African-Americans in not only Milwaukee, but in Wisconsin as a whole, and documenting and preserving that history. So it's great because every day looks a little bit different. Uh, Some days I'm going through old newspapers Other days, we might get a new donation in going through artifacts, and so one of the things I love about working in the museum field, if you've ever seen the American show Pawn Stars, Mm -hmm. it's like one of those things that you really never know what's going to walk in the door next, and it's just an incredible opportunity of what we're working on there. It's funny. Because as we're talking, it's about six thirty in the morning uh, here in the states.
1: It's insane I actually... <laughs> how early it is for like like you, all of my American guests are just. You're always up at like six thirty, five thirty, and like I'm barely functioning. It's midday here. I'm barely functioning.
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, do 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 carry on. No, it's it's great. So actually, in about two and a half hours or so, I will be uh, presenting there uh, at the, at the historical society uh we're doing this thing called memory mapping um it's we're looking at a particular community in within milwaukee uh which is one of the big larger cities in wisconsin and we have a lot of guests coming in and they're basically going to look at blank maps and uh try to remember growing up because a lot of these people stay in the same communities try to remember where they uh lived once lived or any recognizable stores or any story so we'll be recording them kind of doing oral history as well to to create that narrative but i'll be presenting there a little bit about what i do just kind of like what i'm what i'm doing right now for you guys and it's just one of those exciting things it's a saturday but uh it's it's not too bad coming into work uh, at a place you enjoy
1: oh epic um i just want to pick up on that that um event you're doing today um with the with the memory mapping Because, like, when I think of history, I think of artifacts that are over a a few hundred years old. I'm thinking of old historical records. I don't think of meeting people who are alive today to talk about their experiences.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those interesting areas of history. It's a little bit more recent history. But uh, you have to remember a lot of these people have lived in the same community, so they've seen it change greatly um over the course of their lifetime and so it's just one of those ways we get to connect with the community which is one of our our big goals we're hopefully having some people in to bring family photographs and as as a service we're scanning those photos for one for our collection to have local history but also for the family we'll make sure they get set up with little usb drives at the end of the day and we'll be able to you know, let them have their family history as well. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times we realize with local history, people don't see themselves as part of history. Rather, they, they, they know about the major events that happened, rather than their family history. Maybe they're a lot of times people's parents, you know, owned a butchery or something, and they don't see that as history. They just see that as something their family did. But one of our big missions with local history is to help People paint themselves within the narrative of of things as they change over time.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I I I love that because what you're kind of doing here is you're 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 starting to change my perspective uh, just a little bit because I my degree is in social science um, and I'm really into psychology. Uh, so my degree was in psychology, um, but I never think back to kind of like historical psychology and historical kind of topics as having that first-hand sort of interaction, that first-hand experience. So that's something that's really, really interesting and starting to blow my mind already. We're only five minutes in.
0: Going off that, I kind of was in the same boat when I think I first started. My background was actually in education as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was teaching a lesson on World War I to a bunch of middle schoolers in, in the middle of uh, the country area up in uh, Northwest Wisconsin and i realized i asked basically you always ask what does what do classes know about anything so mm-hmm. i asked them what they know about world war one of course no one said anything and then you know try to work back how about world war Two of course you know it's crickets these kids uh you know weren't even born at that point probably before september 11th yeah. they, they they were young they were young So then, knowing it's a little bit more of a rural area, I connect with them and ask them, do they have anyone in their immediate family that served in the military? I'd say two-thirds raised their hand. I was like, okay, we got that. And then the next was, all right, so does anyone outside your immediate family? You know, we get a little bit more hands. And then I'm finally like, all right, anyone in the community, or you know anyone in the community, and everyone eventually raised their hands. And then I was like, well, I asked for some, you know, of course school appropriate stories that they might have heard from from their family and of course you know we create that dialogue next time, i'm like oh well if you thought that was bad of course it was but imagine trench warfare and i explain you know things like trench foot and it was a real fun moment for me as a professional to connect that connect them with history where that there's a lot of times they disconnect
1: mm-hmm. yeah because i remember my history lessons were just read from the textbook and that's kind of it so i really wish you were around when i was in school (laughs) (laughs) um but coming back to the museum now um obviously the work you do there is incredibly important but why is it really important to have places like the black historical uh society and museum in wisconsin
0: yeah absolutely and so that's a great question One of the reasons I I feel it's so important to have institutions like that um, is because oftentimes when historical societies were first starting out, uh, their interest in African-American history wasn't as high as it was as it's been in the last, you know, realistically three, four years due to everything going on, uh, you know, across the the country, across the world. Mm. And so it's been great to have institutions like that already in existence, uh, we've been around since 1987, and it's real great to document that history, work with other organizations that maybe have been there longer, but have given us the ability to have a lot of those community resources since we're in the community. Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, you're not just telling the story, but you also become a part of the community and a part of the the, the society around you.
0: Correct, correct.
1: Epic. Epic. So, obviously, um, Wisconsin's not the only place you've worked, uh, you've also done uh, something that just sounds really cool and something I have no idea about anything, what happens there, so you're going to have to treat me like I'm a complete idiot, which is, uh, well, feel free to treat me like a complete idiot. <laughs> um, you have worked at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I believe in Canton, Ohio, and also the College Football Hall of Fame, which I believe is in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, So these sound cool, but can you introduce them to me and help me understand what happens at these places?
0: So, yes, yes. I've uh, been a little bit all over the United States at this point in my career. Um, I first started out the, you know, I should say at the Pro Sport, at the Sport Museum Hall of Fames. Uh, As a kid, of course, you can, you don't even know that's a real job. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, a third grader made up hey, that's the way I want to work. And uh, I laugh because as a kid, we went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame um, as you know, a family to visit on like, a family vacation. We drove a lot to different places. I remember it. But to explain a little bit about it, so just like any sport, it celebrates the best um, on and off the field players of their respective sports. So the Pro Football Hall of Fame has just over 300 Players that have been enshrined in the in Canton, Ohio, they get these bronze busts, and every year they celebrate every year they celebrate them, the the incoming class. And so I was there a, a summer in 2016, and I was able to work uh, work there and help help with that celebration. Again, help with archiving and doing those documents, uh, just kind of like what I am doing today. Um, but just as it related to professional football, talking about those early teams from the you know everywhere from pre n f l in nineteen twenty one to all the way to last week we'd get jerseys in from you know the games that happened during the season or right before the season in the same token that's uh my my most recent position was the historian and curator at the College Triple Hall of Fame down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We we did the same thing as it related to college athletes. Uh, we have we had a bit over twelve hundred different Hall of Famers, which at first sounds like a lot of number or like a large number, but you have to think of how many people from you know primary school all the way through obviously we celebrated college and with the amount of colleges we have, just over 775 Schools are actively playing football across the country at different levels. And so our numbers are actually pretty staggering. Statistically, it's harder to get in that Hall of Fame than it is anyone anyone else, which is uh, tough to believe for a lot of people. But it's uh, we did a great job of celebrating everyone from those premier guys that everyone, maybe their household names, to guys that had amazing careers at maybe a lower division school. Mm-hmm. And go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, no, you, you continue. I just um I just make random noises sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good.
0: Um w- with those, that 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 part of that job as a historian was doing everything from writing blogs to helping design those archives as well. I've kind of learned archives seem to be be my thing and I really enjoy enjoy doing them, but also working with the media, doing interviews um everything from uh, you know ESPN all the way to doing podcasts mm-hmm. um sometimes it was just phone interviews but a lot it was it was always fun because I was able to talk about a subject I was interested in I wrote my master's thesis in graduate school on early college football stadiums in the 1920s and uh it specialized at three memorial stadiums uh named at, after World War 1 memorials um at at three different institutions uh got got my feet wet with uh learning how to research using primary sources which is funny because now i use things like that almost every day we're going through an old family bible and we were able to search and get an accurate date of each each family member which is fun then to show and present to the community
1: Mm -hmm. so i've got like four or five different points i want to pick up on now um but um it sounds like I'm I'm now just sort of drawing a drawing a connection between um, Wisconsin and the Hall of Fames. Um, both of them are sort of. Am I right in thinking celebrating the culture, celebrating people's contributions, and and like you said for football, celebrating the best players, and for Wisconsin, celebrating those important members of the community.
0: Yes, yes. No, that's a that's a great connection. It's a. I think people don't realize how much museums are celebrating really whatever whatever their subject is. Um, as we mentioned, I worked at a historic photography museum uh, up in the Wisconsin Dells, and it was celebrating not only the photographer, but he did a lot of the landscape, which ended up making that region famous. Um, there, And so that's kind of one of those areas where I've realized museums, all museums kind of celebrate something even if maybe it's not a physical person or an idea it might be a region a a local region and it's just one of those exciting exciting moments Uh, i think when i made that connection um and it was one of those areas that now that you bring it up made it easier for me to want to be back in wisconsin but also still work in museums of course the college triple hall of fame was an incredible opportunity but I think I realized kind of from the get go that I just loved museums more than I lived loved really anything else. I was, I was just as excited when I was at the photography museum or I was up at a small county museum up in Minnesota and I loved learning about that local history. I frankly had never even heard of that city before I applied for the job, realized it was close to a larger city where I could live with, with some uh, college teammates and, it was one of those things that each day I was still kind of excited to come into, come into work, which I think at the end of the day is everyone's goal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Totally. Um, and I think, um, I think you may have said this in another podcast and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing. It's like, I think you said something along the lines of find something that drives you find something that you care about. I think you could take it sort of from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I always tell people, cause I'm fortunate enough I get reached out to a lot of different people in a lot of different fields, a lot of times with young students. Um, but also, you know, really kind of everyone, I'm just tell people like next to sleeping, we spend most of our time working, Yeah, which is just kind of, especially in the United States. We like to, we like to work a ton for some, uh, you know, unknown reason, but I also tell people find something you're passionate about. And of course, a lot of times rebuttal as well i have you know family kids mortgage all that stuff i'm like well what do you do when you get home from work yeah and a lot of times it's you know go go to the bar go to the pub you know go golfing which is all great and you know it's just or play video games which i think is all amazing and if you're happy with that then there's no issue like it's really not about the money it's just about finding ways to you know stay happy or try to find a way to pivot Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what I've been able to do not just in the museum field but kind of outside it as well and I was fortunate because I think I was ignorant I got my undergrad in history and ended up not not pursuing teaching to the to full the full capabilities I got my master's right away in public history to museum work Mm -hmm. and it was kind of one of those things where of course people ask what are you going to do teach I'm like yeah well yes and then, you know, go and go and get a second history degree. What are you gonna do? I'm like, you already taught, so that that that's not in the cards. And I was like, I just kinda wanna work in museums. And people are like, Of course, you know, that's kind of hard to do. There's not that many museums. I'm mean, I know, but you know, I'll figure it out. And I was teaching, I taught a couple, uh, you know, guest lectured at a couple courses at Georgia Tech, uh down in Atlanta. And I remember I showed them this kind of slide and it was my, you know, my professional path. And from there, I then next slide, it showed the actual path. Mm -hmm. At one point, I worked at a daycare in graduate school. I was, you know, learning how to change diapers at 25, working with kids from six months to, you know, four years old. Um, After graduate school, I had a great job at the photography museum, but the funding eventually ran out. So I moved back home and I was working second shift cleaning bathrooms at schools, which is, you know, of course, the ultimate irony where I'm a former educator is now, you know, cleaning, clean the toilet at like, you know, Mm -hmm. two in the morning. Um, And then there's, you know, a bunch of other, you know, wide ranging jobs just to kind of keep that dream and kind of keep that, that thing alive, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, if you find something you're passionate about, I always just tell people chase it as as long and as hard as you can until it just isn't either isn't your passion, because I, I think a lot of people need to let themselves be willing to change. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe their interests do shift, um, and that's okay, and not feeling like, okay, well, I wanted to start out, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer, you become a lawyer, that's great. Certain amount of time in you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I will tell people find find a way to change of course a lot of that is living within your means or below your means yeah. even if it is just a, a short amount of time yeah
1: and i think that's also like one of the things that and uh, we, we we we're just turn this into an inspirational podcast now <laughs> uh, <laughs> i th- this clip is going to be amazing for instagram uh I'd get, thank you for the engagement already um, i love it I think also one one of the things that um it's so easy to assume when you're leaving school at 16, 18 years old. I don't know what the law's like over there over there for, for you, but it recently moved to eighteen for us before you could leave school, is we assume it's just just work to what you want, but we never talk about that bit in the middle, do we? We never talk about those second shifts, those really sort of crummy kind of jobs. And I think Even in this podcast, I had, I wouldn't have been able to do this podcast without the really rubbish retail jobs that I had before. Total shout out to Asta. Don't go and work there. I'm going to get sued for libel. I don't care. <laughs> you'll recognize the name. They're owned by Walmart, or they were owned by Walmart. So you'll recognize the my, name. My, my first
0: job was Walmart, so I feel you.
1: There you are. There we are. We, 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 are, we, we are. we are cousins across the ocean, I think. Um, so you talk about sort of doing what you're passionate about and I imagine that master's thesis uh and remind me of the title it was um early college football stadiums is that correct
0: yeah yes yes it was uh what was it uh, a memorial to who uh looking at early college football stadiums in the 1920s
1: tell me kind of tell me about that I know nothing about this topic so sort of take it away introduce it to me and tell
0: me what you found so this was one of those areas that uh, I'm fortunate. I had a great professor, Dr. Mann. Shout out to him. He wanted us to make sure we found an area of history we were passionate and excited about. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to just doing something you're excited about. The, the number of people who don't finish, especially in the history field, their thesis, whether it's master's or a PhD dissertation, because of they realize you know two months, three years, two years into. Their feel or their subject that they can't stand it, and it's it's terrible, terrible to write. Mine ended up being just over a hundred pages of original research, and again, I was fortunate. I found something I was interested in, and this this thesis really looked at three particular stadiums because again, you had to make sure it was a reasonable goal. I wanted to be finished with school in two years, um, whereas there are probably about six or seven different "quote unquote" memorial stadiums named after World War I. So one of the things about our universities, especially during that time period, is each class or so each graduating class would donate something to the university, which for me, it took a second to look, take off those cynical lens of how much I paid to go to school mm-hmm. and all that and realize that back then it was obviously much more affordable. But each class would donate something, some sort of money for maybe the class of 1913 memorial garden or memorial archway and they would build you know some some kind of archway and it it started as at at some of the schools where they wanted to kind of build on that so each instead of donating one lump sum at the end of your four years at at school you would start kind of putting money into a pot to donate something uh, much larger after your four years was up mm-hmm. During this time period, of course, we went into war world war one it's It's funny because, as you know, you may know, the United States didn't spend a whole lot of time in World War I mm-hmm. um, compared to the really the rest of the world. And so what ended up happening was, of course, a lot of things to put on hold, everything from obviously classes to even entire football seasons in uh you know nineteen seventeen to nineteen eighteen. Um, because all able-bodied, a lot of able-bodied men were off, either gearing up to go to war because we weren't sure how long it was going to last, or we're already being deployed actively. Mm-hmm. Things settle down a little bit, we get out of the war, and students are looking for a way to give back to the universities. Universities are also are not dumb. They know that if this may be student-led, it becomes a lot less of a pushback. Mm-hmm. then uh, if the school wants to, hey, we want to build a new stadium to keep up with. At that point, it was the the Ivy Leagues, the Harvards, the Yales, which were also powerhouses of football, just coming off of being powerhouses of football at the time. And so you start. I started learning and reading correspondence between not only students and student, the student body government and administrators, but also presidents of different universities talking to each other because this went in, uh, kind of a chronological order, where one school would start, you know, requesting money for, you know, a new building. The university would have them vote, and a lot of times they would include a stadium or maybe a memorial hall. And it, it was just interesting because it was all named after, of course, World War One. It was a way to kind of not only, you know, garner excitement from the student body, but I think the local local population as well because it was kind of something for quote unquote for them. Mm-hmm. So over the, you know, over the years that they start to build these, they do this great idea. At the time I think it was, it was a great idea. It was subscription based. So during right when you get done with school, the first six months you would pay X amount of dollars. Let's say it was $25. Then six months later you'd pay another 25 And a lot of times it was anywhere between six to eight subscription plans. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that ends up happening, a lot of times, you pay your first three or four. Then you're like, okay, I'm maybe two years out of school. I'm working. I maybe didn't even finish school. Why am I still paying for this? So what they run into is their funding gets cut short. So a lot of times, it was, I think, not rebuilding, but readjusting expectations. Mm -hmm. Uh, The University of Illinois is one of the schools, and I was able to look at through their subscription plan. I mean, this thing looked like a, almost like an Olympic village. It had the football stadium, but it also had track and field all around it, several tennis courts and things of the day. Um, and of course, by the end of it, it becomes a nice, sta- a great stadium. Beautiful. I love Memorial Stadium, um, but the, it has just some pillars that have the names of the, those that perished uh, during World War One. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those areas that I started with one university and it made a lot of sense. I'm going to the newspapers and starting to, you know, research. And something in my gut told me that I think this might be very similar at other schools. And so I go to the next school. I started at Indiana, or excuse me, I started at Illinois because I could get their information pretty easily online, paid them some money, and they sent me the files I needed, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next was Indiana. And I start kind of looking near the same area. I look at, you know, presidential correspondence. And student activities around the period that we know the stadium was built, and sure enough, it's almost identical. I then get those I get those I basically build those those two schools out for what what they're gonna do. and the last one, it's funny with Minnesota, which where I was closest to at uh at university about an hour and a half away, I did all that research in about a weekend because I knew exactly where I was looking for. I knew exactly what newspapers I needed because they was going to say the same thing because they built basically the same thing at the different halls. I found them where they voted for or what they voted for. Some of the student, you know, I I realized not only the university paper, but there was always these offshoot student papers that are kind of, you know, trying to give the pulse of, of the student body and what they're thinking at the time. And it was interesting because almost everyone was overwhelmingly positive towards the idea. Uh, Some felt that it wasn't great use of education money to just do school or just do a stadium. And so that's where libraries and, um, you know, student dorms were added on because it also helped the student body as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And I left it open should I have wanted to pursue a Ph.D. There were other memorial stadiums built around the same time and maybe maybe someday when i'm retired and i can just research uh i'm confident those were built in very very similar fashion
1: epic um i just what i'm learning from you right now is um just talking about the memorial stadiums there and going back to the museums as well is history is certainly much more than just old artifacts and a history book um i didn't realize correspondence was a thing that you could sort of analyze and 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 document i I didn't i didn't realize that was the kind of thing and now i hope nobody sees my emails Uh, (laughs) um so i imagine it sounds like and i'm i'm taking a shot in the dark here it sounds like you have just a little passion for football
0: Just yes (laughs) yes just just a little bit i mean it's funny because i just wanted to grab a hat hat today this is the green bay packers which is our professional football team and it wasn't, you know, really by me planning and I just grabbed the hat and I assume it's usually, uh, somehow football related, which right, is always, is. uh, something just where, where I grew up in this area of the United States, Wisconsin, uh, Green Bay Packers, our professional football team is one of those things. that's uh, I, I, I always tell people, I don't remember when I became a fan, I just always was, it, was just, it wasn't really a choice, uh, yeah. per se, but, um. Their their big one of their big claims to fame is we're the smallest market of professional sports, mm-hmm. um, with all through you know major league football, baseball, basketball, and uh, hockey as well. Um, it's a it's a I almost said student. It's a technically a fan run organization, um, so they don't have a physical owner like a, a lot of bigger uh, professional teams do. Of course, there's someone in charge that makes kind of the day-to-day decisions, but um, it was actually, bad, you know, back in the 1920s, it was a way to save the team. A lot of bigger market, there was a ton of small, small professional organizations. Football really wasn't the way it was today, where it's a, you know, multi-million dollar thing. So there were teams that would pop up, last for a year or two, and then fold, a lot of times, move to a bigger city where there's more revenue. And the Packers, which were founded in 1919, which is, uh, you know, two years before the NFL, um, were just a small, you know, small organization and they would have fundraisers to, you know, help save the team. You would pay some stock prices. And it's funny because pay some stock to get it. And it's funny because the stock is dead stock. I own some shares in the Packers and it's more just a novelty to say you own it. Yeah. And it's it's funny because I think like $250, something like that. And it actually just goes to improvements around the stadium. It doesn't pay the players or anything like that, Yeah. but it's just such a casual thing. And I, I try to explain it to people who are outside of Wisconsin. Like, why would you pay for that? You're not, you're not actually getting anything other than the fact that you get almost like bragging rights. Yeah. And it it's one of those things that I think we're just a weird dynamic. I always laugh. So it snows a lot up here, like a lot, mm-hmm. And what they do is they have people come from the community and they actually shovel out the stadium. They put, you show up, you get shovels and you basically are shoveling snow on a conveyor belt for like 10 bucks an hour. They now pay, I've learned, they now pay in cash because back in the day, they would write a check. Let's Mm -hmm. say you work three, four hours, just something, you know, casual. You get paid $40, $40, but it'd be a check from the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. And almost no one would cash it. Because you just, you had that paper check that's showing you got paid. And so it got to the point where they basically, they were paying people, but no one was cashing their checks. And so now they do cash just because of that. But it's always, you know, a a funny, funny story I like to share with people because I think the loyalty to a team here, the team here is kind of, uh, it rivals uh, maybe a little delusion, but that I'm okay with that
1: yeah fair uh, fair enough i was gonna ask you about like because i saw your twitter uh uh bio and uh, i saw nfl owner and i was like who 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 am i interviewing <laughs> <laughs> am i interviewing a multi-millionaire um but i absolutely adore that that is that is actually a really cool thing uh because i think to bring some parallels to soccer over here in the uk It's your local team. It's that source of pride for you, isn't it?
0: Correct, correct. I mean, I I think, as you know, some of the studies kind of sociology, I think the idea of tribalism is just so real matter. You know, some of it's good, some of it's less good. But I think sports is one of those weird dynamics where uh, after, you know, I lived all over now when I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, the way I'd get excited if I saw someone with a Packers G or a Packers hat And since I'm from the Midwest, I'll come up and talk to anyone. So Mm. it'd be funny because you'd get a lot of people and then they get excited because, oh, you know, and our big thing in Wisconsin is to discuss where you live, you pull your hand out and you point. So this is, it's a rough outline of Wisconsin. So down here is kind of the Milwaukee area where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Right here is probably the center of state in the capital, Madison I went to school up here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is right by Minnesota. And it's funny because almost like clockwork, if you're talking to someone from Wisconsin and you maybe you don't recognize their city because it's a small city or something like that, almost anyone will instantly pull up their hand and show mom oh, I'm right up here and then say some random name that sounds like it's made up, but it's uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, a unique thing about, I think, Wisconsin and, um, just seeing people from that support your team and uh wisconsin is great if you know they have a storied franchise story history but there's not a ton of people that are just random fans Mm -hmm. because it's such a small market you just grew up a different different team um and that's kind of how it was always for professional basketball we had the milwaukee bucks um a guy named Giannis ante de we drafted him several years back and we ended up winning the championship about two years a year ago now, and it's funny because for me, again, I'm from the area, so I've always grown up wearing Milwaukee hats and things like that. And so when I was in Georgia, it happened, and I would see people in Milwaukee hats with the you know the Bucks logo and the Bucks. And I'd come up and talk to them, and I realized that a lot of them weren't from Wisconsin; they were just kind of the bandwagon fans that. Now that they were good, yeah. they were they were wearing the gear, and it was funny because i come up and mention something very obscure about the team, and they kind of look at me like I don't know what this guy. Why is this guy talking? To me one because <laughs> they're not from the Midwest, so they're like this guy's weird. Like why is he coming up excited talking my about my hat? Um, but it, it's funny because like uh, how how delusional it gets up here. We got some bobbleheads. Oh nice! So we get that. It's Giannis. And it's him wearing a professional baseball jersey. And he's a basketball player. Yeah. And it's for the Brewers. And it's just funny because it's just one of those things that it becomes popular. Of course, when your team's winning, that helps too. But it's, uh, you know, the, the idea of sports and tribalism in a positive way is something I realized is uh, very, very true. Um, when I was in Georgia, it was the college teams, more so than the pros. The pros didn't get there until the mid-early 60s. And so that, that, that kind of rallying around, you know, the, the good old remembering to go to a game with your father or your grandfather, that just wasn't the same way for pros down there as it was for college. But here, I remember I still have the ticket stub from the first game I went to, you know, it's, uh, and I'm, I, I would consider myself a bit of a historian so that a lot of things make sense uh, about how my life actually ended up shaping up. I'm going to, um,
1: because you mentioned sort of like reaching out to other fans and having that sort of like seeing see they've got the same hat as well. I'm going to mention uh, a previous episode I did, a few, published a few weeks ago with Dr. Farini, um, and we talked about football, or soccer rather, um, and how I'm seeing the, the lessons that he taught me there was that, that shared experience with soccer over here in the uk i have to translate for myself uh with soccer over here in the uk which is that thing that brings the community together that is that thing that people are kind of talking about and people have that shared identity with i'm seeing the exact same parallels you talking about uh american football and i'm just finding that really really fascinating
0: I think one of the with uh, you know proper football as I would call it since you guys you guys are a bit older you get you get naming rights I'll give to that um, I wasn't gonna say anything well, I already know I already know as a as someone who studies history I've, I've been told many times uh you know we're, we're the real football um, but it, it, it's so cool to see a lot of things because I don't know a ton about I know a ton about soccer but not so much the teams yeah of course there's you know good you know well known teams. But I love that it's almost like a city organization. You when you talk about the city, a lot of times I'm never heard of the city, but you a lot of times maybe heard of the team. Yeah. And uh it's real fun with you guys because it's different levels and different divisions and you know, all that. I love the idea of relegation and uh things like that that it kind of builds community around your your city, your your specific organization. Of of course, as you know, we're we're a bit bigger as Mm -hmm. far as a country. So it makes a lot, just, just just a little (laughs) (laughs) bit. It makes a lot of sense because I think if America was kind of put in the same, I don't see a ton of fans from San Diego or Los Angeles Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. But I get put in that small of a, you know, that small of a region, uh, relatively speaking, I think the passion just increases. Yeah. It's great in Wisconsin because we're all delusional. So we're all almost all Packers fans. Whereas when I went to Georgia, it was a little, you know, a little different, but it's, uh, it's always fun how just kind of sports connects with, uh, I think, society as a whole.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, A little bit of sort of, I, I don't know much about football over here, but a little bit of nerdiness that you might, you might really kind of enjoy with historical things is I live in a city called Milton Keynes. We literally just gained city status a few months ago. As where I'm recording this as well. And if you were to look at it on a map, it would look very American. Um, and a while back, I think we're talking about 25 years ago, uh, they built a brand new stadium, um, in Bletchley. So not too far from Bletchley Park, which I think many people will already remember. And we needed a football team, but, um, the city council at the time didn't want to have, um, a football team start from the ground up because this is a big, massive stadium that's been built that can literally hold concerts. Um, it's a really gorgeous place, actually. I've been to it a few times. Um, so they, per- I think they either purchased or persuaded the owners of um, a team down in Wimbledon, uh, which is sort of Londonish, to come up over. So that move, while great for us here in MK, because we finally got a team that was a fairly decent sort of, I think, mid-league, in 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 stuff it ripped the soul out of wimbledon and then i think about 10 years ago the author john green found out about this and helped to sort of funnel money into forming wimbledon afc yes
0: which is um i don't know if you know about it if you do please take it from me no, 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 absolutely. No, it's just one of those things I've heard about John Green, you know, the author. And he's one of the guys I really just knew about soccer that I know, you know, put some funny, I don't know the whole story behind it, but I remember him, I follow him, I think on TikTok a lot. And yeah. he was talking about that story of just, and he's a, you know, real interesting guy, guy himself. So it's uh, one of those things. But it's funny because now when they, if they, those clubs play each other, there's already that built in, you know, dislike yeah. men for one, one club, one club over the other. Mm -hmm. yeah because
1: we we did kind of steal it we did steal the club more or less um because it was like look fancy new stadium come here um training ground not too far away come come over here um which was very clever but also very not morally right (laughs) um so we've talked a lot about football there and um i'm already just just the passion that you're giving me i'm just i'm just feeding off this now (laughs) i love it So that was part one, in part two we're going to be talking about the business that Jeremy runs, Swick Media, we're going to be talking about the intricacies behind that, how it came to be, and hopefully share some business tips with you as well. So I hope you stick around for that and of course that part will also have our famous questionnaire. Of course please don't forget to like and follow us on our social media And also check us out on Good Pods, where we are currently in the top 100 indie documentary chart. All time chart. So it's like, yay, happy days. So please, if you could help us get even higher on that, we'd really, really appreciate it. But for now, enjoy the dulcet tones of a bit of audio I recorded in August with the copyright disclaimer. See you next week you have just listened to an episode of Tom Meets Interesting People. If you'd enjoyed the show and would like to take part, or you know somebody who would make a great guest, please email me at tommeetsinterestingpeople@gmail.com, at gmail.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Guests may provide audio content that helps to demonstrate their work. Guests have given permission for this work To be played through the use of a release form that they have signed. It is the understanding of this podcast that the material that they provide does not infringe on the copyright of others. All other rights reserved. Copyright 2022.